0: And welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. Matt, I want it noted that I sang that in youth choir (laughs) at First Methodist in Missouri City. I know. So I slightly resemble and resent that implication that it is no longer modern. <laughs> uh, Missouri City is where Matt came from before he came here, and that's the church that I grew up in. So it's the Sunday after Easter. We've been through this series, and what we looked at even on Easter Sunday was examining the questions on the way to the cross, and different questions throughout Scripture, and the way that we respond to those questions, and the way that God responds to those questions as well. This week, we're going to be looking at Luke 24, 13 through 35, we're on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus asked two questions in this Scripture of Cleopas and his unnamed disciple, his unnamed person who's with him, we don't know exactly who it is. But there's the two questions that Jesus asks as they're walking along the road. And I want you to think about them and how they start to reveal what Jesus is about to say to them. How it's that point of Jesus meeting them where they are on that road and what they're trying to sort out and figure out. So if you're able, stand if you're able for the reading of God's Word. Now that same day, And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself as they approached the village to which they were going. Jesus continued on as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he began, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. For you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So we meet these two on the road. And it even says in scripture, it's about seven miles, probably not the term they used at the time, um, from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And we don't know why they're leaving Jerusalem. We can kind of, I think, gather what we think might be going through their heads. But they don't seem to be scared. There doesn't seem to be a sense of urgency. There seems to be a sense of confusion, of sadness. They're downcast. They're obviously trying to sort through all these things that have happened just not only since Friday, but since that morning, what they've heard about. There was obviously an intense discussion going on here. And they were kept from recognizing Jesus, is what Scripture tells us. And we're going to come back to that in a few minutes. So I want you to kind of tuck that little nugget in the back of your head. Their account of what happened reveals their hearts. When Jesus asked them a question, it reveals what's in their heart. They're downcast. They had hoped this was the one, that this was the Messiah. They were confused because what they heard, that the women saw these angels, that Jesus was alive, and they really didn't know what to think about all this. This was not the ending that they had anticipated for the prophet who would redeem Israel. They only remembered when they're questioned, when Jesus asked them that question, they only remember the glories of the Messiah. Notice they don't talk about the suffering that Jesus must endure. And we need to look at that a little bit. Sometimes it's necessary to look at our own ideas of who Jesus is. We can start to see Jesus in a certain way that best fits what we need him to be in that moment. Sometimes we don't want to acknowledge the suffering that he has endured on the cross because then that means it's necessary for us to acknowledge our own sin as well and that it's something that we need to deal with because he dealt with it. Sometimes we just want Jesus to provide us some good advice, some good anecdotes for leading a good life. We want Jesus, we want a Jesus who will fix everyone around us, but not so sure we wanna have to deal with our own sin. And so as they're piecing this together, obviously they're not dealing with all of those things. They're still just trying to figure out what really happened but they ignored all the predictions in Scripture of Jesus' suffering. And they're slow to believe with their hearts what the prophets had declared, what declared what all of Scripture had been revealing to them. They miss seeing that the rejection, that the humiliation and that death on the cross are an integral part of God's plan of salvation. but it just doesn't make sense to them. The thought of a suffering Messiah is too much for them to bear. And the thought of a dead Messiah is even more unfathomable to them. How can God's Messiah be shamed and killed on a Roman cross when he was supposed to be delivering his people? This is not what happens to deliverers. But Jesus' response to their confusion, to their sadness, to their lack of hope is to remind them that the Messiah had to suffer these things to enter his glory, and he explains it to them through scripture, from Moses all the way through to the prophets. And that's how Jesus responds to our confusion, our sadness, our loss of hope at times. He meets us right where we are, in the middle of the road, and he walks with us, and he reminds us of God's power and his provision and his love and his grace that have always been a part of his plan of redemption and restoration. He has done it before, and he will do it again because he is the same God then as he is now. And his solution for those two on this road to Emmaus is the same for us today. Taking a class right now on the Pentateuch, which is the first five uh, books of the Bible in the Old Testament. This past week or two, I have spent so much time in Leviticus, so much time. And who would have thought, I know, (laughs) who would have thought that I would have found in Leviticus a scripture that speaks to, to this, what we're talking about today. But I think it shows the beauty of how all that Scripture ties together, how exactly what Jesus did in that moment was tie it from the very beginning all the way to Him. And this is what um, the Scripture that I read this week, when we're going through the, the book, I had to pick out a verse that kind of sums up Le- Leviticus, the main verse um, in, the, in that uh, chapter, or excuse me, in that book of the Bible. And this is what I, I chose, Leviticus 26.11. And these are the blessings, God's explaining his blessings, that will come from their obedience. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk. Erect. Amen. That's what Jesus is doing here on this walk to Emmaus. He met them where they were and He's walking with them. He's revealing who He is in that. He's helping them to understand what it means to be His people, to serve a Savior that is risen, not one who is in a tomb. I taught confirmation for several years. And a couple of years ago, we were doing um, a class on the, we were talking about the difference between devotionals and worship. They're obviously both ways that we encounter God, and we do one personally and we do one corporately. At the time, I was teaching sixth graders. I want you to remember that, sixth graders, because you're about to get a theological insight here from a sixth grader. And I remember asking them, what's the difference between devotional and worship. We come to worship and we gather corporately on Sunday mornings. So what's the difference between that devotional and worship? One of my sixth grade boys pipes up and says, devotionals are when we walk with God. That's a beautiful way to see it. Worship is too, but devotionals are those daily things that are part of our lives. They're the ways that we enter into scripture and they're the ways that we walk with God. And God walks with us on a daily basis. And that's how we start to learn how to recognize Jesus. We walk with him. The good news is we don't have to get on a certain path first to find him. He comes and meets us right where we are on the path that we are on. And then from there, he makes a new path. He leads us down that path. It's not until Cleopas invites him to stay with them that night and to eat together that their eyes are finally opened. Notice Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Keep in mind, these two were not in the upper room. So there's something about the way Jesus entered into this meal that is familiar to all of them to those who have followed Jesus and who have interacted with him and eaten with him in the past. But notice suddenly the guest becomes the host. And that's something to really think about, I I think, to, to chew on a little bit throughout this week. But what does that mean for Jesus to go from being the guest to the host? For Cleopas and his companion, they moved From blindness to recognition, confusion to clarity, despondence to joy, disjoined and fragmented to now they have an integrated picture of what's going on. And when we hear God's word, when we invite Jesus to sit down with us, when our eyes are opened, because his words are filled with truth and love we go from confusion to clarity. We go from despondency to joy. And we now recognize Jesus for who he really is. The one who suffered on the cross and is now alive. The same one who saves us can be the same one who suffered and died on the cross. And it has to be that way so that our sins are forgiven. Now, I don't think they worked out all this theology in the moment here. They just recognized that Jesus was alive. And he was still with them. And there was hope. And there was joy. And when people share their testimony, they're sharing that moment when they realize that Jesus is alive and he is with them. Sometimes we all have things we still need to work out. But that That's our stepping off point. That's where everything changes from that point forward. On Easter morning, I'm going to have them share a picture. I posted this on Facebook. I got up really early on Easter morning, was headed into church, and the sun was just starting to come up behind me. And this was at the end of our cul-de-sac, and that's the moon behind the clouds right there. So it was still in that real dusky, still pretty dark time, but you could just start to see a little bit of light coming up. And what made me think about was, at this point, the women were probably walking to the tomb. In their minds, they were still walking to take care of Jesus' body. And then they are met there with an empty tomb and angels. And what seemed like chaos at first was actually God's order. It took them a little bit to put it all together. Peter went to go see for himself himself and he's wondering what happened as well. What seemed like chaos in Jerusalem and the events leading up to the cross, the cross itself and now an empty tomb was all part of God's order. This is God restoring and redeeming his people. And nothing makes sense. Remember when I said we'd come back to that idea that, we were gonna, that they were kept from recognizing him in verse 16. A true understanding of God's plan doesn't come from something that we have figured out. Because God's plan for this was never a plan that we could have come up with. Cleopas and his companion, this was not the plan that they had come up with in their mind. But revelation and understanding comes from God. It comes through his love and through his grace in the way that he loves us. So what did the two do? They got up, they returned to Jerusalem at once, found the 11 and said, it is true, our Lord is risen. In all three scenarios today, on that Sunday morning, their response every time was to go back together and to share that good news. He is risen. The tomb is empty. And understanding the resurrection and all its implication is a process. But it starts with that initial understanding that he is alive because now the impossible is possible. And that is good news to be shared. When we walk with Jesus and we're reminded of his love and of his provision, when we invite him to stay with us, and he becomes the host, the roles are reversed. Then we begin to understand the extent of his love because he was willing to die for us, and then we understand his power over sin and death, and our eyes are opened. Then we cannot contain our own excitement. He didn't wait till the next morning. It was at the end of the day. It had to have either been getting dark or was dark already. That didn't stop him. They went back, back to Jerusalem to share that news. Even when we don't fully understand it ourselves, when we know that Christ died for our sins and that we have new life in Him, that's our response as well, should be to share that good news with others around us. On the road to Emmaus, there was fellowship with Jesus, there was teaching through the Word. There was revelation, and there was recognition. They didn't have it fully, but they acknowledged later, didn't we have that burning in our heart? Didn't we know something was going on when we were having that conversation while we were walking? I'm gonna say those four things again. They were walking together, they were in fellowship with Jesus, fellowship with one another. There was teaching, there was revelation, And there was recognition. That's church. Where two or three are gathered. I don't know if you know Rosary Goodrum. She's um, a part of Moms on the Grow and a part of a lot of different parts of the, the life of this church. And she recently started a new ministry that God had put on her heart for a while. On the first Friday of every month, she invites men and women to step into the Sabbath. And it's walking with Christ. They meet out here, gather, pray. She has a scripture to, for them to, to meditate on, think on, and pray on. And then they simply walk. And I'm going to use her words because I don't want to put words in her mouth, but this is how she came to this realization and how she, she lives into that ministry of what God called her to do. Rosary said, God laid on my heart to do something that involves walking with Christ. While reading my Bible one day, I began picturing a walk with Him, a walk in nature, just a person to be in conversation and meditation with. When I went to the New Room Conference, I felt like God wanted it to be a Sabbath, a time to disconnect with our electronics and day-to-day life and listen for Christ and talk to Him, get a chance to just be with Him. He told me nature needed to be involved because we live in a society that is so man-made and we don't take time to observe the miracle of the world he created. The walks are a chance to disconnect from our modern distractions and listen for his voice. To go to him with our questions and our worries and to find guidance with other godly people. To listen and quiet our minds from our daily lives. This is the scripture that was her inspiration for this ministry. She felt like God was calling her to physically open a door, to go outside and follow his voice. And John ten two through four says, he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. He makes a new path, meets the sheep where they are, and makes a new path for the sheep to follow him on. Before every walk, Rosary prays, and God gives her a scripture to share for, each, for the Fridays that they meet together. And she said, shared with me last night that every single time someone has told her afterwards that the scripture she shared was either an answer to prayer or a worry that they were dealing with at that time this is fellowship with Jesus. It's being with Jesus, being in the word, there's teaching, there's revelation, and there's recognition. And that's on the trails of Kingwood, people. That's right here. That is open to every one of us currently. It may look a little bit different for each person. You may be called to join that ministry, but you also may be called to do something else differently. But that's our response to that moment of recognition. Rosary was revealed by God, spoke to her and said, I want you to share this with other people. I want you to invite people into this so they can understand what it means to walk with me. It's that moment when we begin to understand God's love in a new and profound way. When we finally understand the necessity of the cross, To conquer sin and death and the necessity of the cross in our own lives then our response is to go and share the good news it's what we are called to do as individuals and as the church we are called to fellowship with Jesus listen to the word when it opens our eyes we share the good news in and outside of these walls We share how Jesus opened our eyes and how we first recognized him so that others can recognize him as well. And we do that through fellowship with Jesus. That's prayer and worship, teaching, being in God's word, revelation, inviting Jesus to stay, and then recognizing the fastness of his love and grace and mercy. So as we go from here today, invite Jesus to walk with you. Sabbath. Leave the messages of the world behind and remember the amazing ways that God has worked to redeem and restore his people, that he is alive. And you are also redeemed and restored through his love and his grace. And then keep walking with him so he can continue to reveal himself to you in new and beautiful ways. And all along that way, go and share that good news with others. Because we are an Easter people, a third day people. And it is through the sharing of that that we not only are reminded of it, but it's the opportunity to share the good news with someone else. So let's go to God and pray and offer this up to God. God, this week as we leave here, walk with us. When we start to stray off the path a little bit, pull us back onto it. Help us to follow your voice, your teaching, for our hearts to burn with recognition of who you are and that we are an Easter people who serves a God who is alive, who has redeemed and restored his people and is constantly working towards that. It's all these things we ask in your holy name. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.